Or is it no? No question. I think some of the questions will lead to tangents anyway. For yeah. example, warm or cold pizza. Oh, there was... Man, I have, I have a stance. On warm yeah, or cold, cold, cold pizza. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a hot pizza guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I... So, so we'll obviously, <laughs> obviously, warm or cold pizza, they're talking about leftovers. Yeah, yeah, obviously, talking about leftovers. Nobody's, yeah. no, nobody's yeah. calling up pizza. Uh, I, yeah, it's negative. Yeah. <laughs> I, want, I want my cheese raw. <laughs> don't, you know, I don't you, want it melted. You don't even put it in that oven. Yeah, 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 I want my sauce frozen. So, now, weirdly, the next day, I, will, I often prefer pizza not heated at same. So I, I, I prefer cold. cold. No, nope. I prefer cold leftover nope. pizza nope. rather than heated up. Hang on, let's save this for the podcast. Let's. <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna, we'll get to this. I've got. I'm angry with everyone now. Hey, welcome to episode 28 of Front Seat Gamer. Uh, I'm Nick. I'm here with Severn. Hey, Nick. And Blake. What's up? And still here with Carl from... Hello. Uh, so, last time Carl was on, we talked about games. Carl had a big list of games. Um, and I I think I I don't even got... <laughs> I don't think I got to say what I was playing. What have I been playing? Hearthstone. Yeah. Of course. Nice. Anyone, anyone surprised? Nice. Well, they've been, they've been doing the... Um, as of recording, they've been releasing wings of the League of Adventurers, which is their solo adventure thing. And I see you've gotten it constructed because you've actually got decent ratings. I, I've been playing Control Warrior and constructed. I haven't played in the last, well, as of listening, probably five weeks. <laughs> but no, no, in the last last week or so, I've been not playing um, constructed. They, the whole meta has shifted since the League of Explorers released. Right. So I have to get caught up on that. Um, and Carl, you said you had some opinions about Hearthstone. I do have opinions, but this is actually um, not a negative opinion. Mm -hmm. I played it quite seriously. I got into it and I played my, my Druid and got up in the rankings. Um, and then they they changed a card. They did the equivalent of banning a card. Uh -huh. It was the uh, Warsong Commander. That's, that's probably right. the one you're referring Which to. Which note is not in a Druid deck. It wasn't a Warrior deck. Yep. Um, and I stopped playing at that point. I didn't choose to stop playing. I just happened to stop playing yeah and they had this article at the same time talking about how um it the card didn't really support the sort of game they wanted mm -hmm. and they wanted to focus more on having creatures on the board and sort of mid-rangey thing right and i think it actually had a lot to do with why i stopped is like i actually liked the game a lot off the board and i think i don't mean think they're making a bad decision i think they're probably right to put the game making it right. about creatures fighting on the board but i tend to prefer games where it's a lot about the building and a lot about the combos and right a lot about the interaction between styles of deck i mean the, the the deck you play has a combo where you play three creatures and then you buff those three creatures and they can each individually do what four damage and then you can do another two damage three damage something like that so you've got a, like a 15 damage combo it's precisely 14 if you hear a power it's 15 right What's that, sorry? If you use your hero power? No, it's 14 with your hero power. So that from where to go, it's precisely 14 damage. And you can spot when you start getting up the rankings, people are aware of exactly mm. how much damage that combo is. Right. Because they'll play around it. Like, they'll heal to just above 14. Right, and okay. Like and they'll make sure you don't have any creatures on the board because that makes it stronger. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Much stronger. And then the double combo is um, that plus another 8 damage. Right. Um, which requires, like, 4 cards to do. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's but it's a it's a style of deck that is or it's a style of play that is similar sort of to the yeah. But they didn't card they, they didn't get rid of that one. But the, I think the well the the other one had a much much higher potential for damage. Yes, and was much more off the board. Like you're sitting there stalling and doing nothing but stalling and drawing cards. For yeah. A long time. It's on a it's a it's a style of deck that excels at keeping the game going and keeping the board empty until the point at which they can unload a massive amount of very cheap cards for a lot of damage. Yeah. So I think that direction change just kind of unconsciously made me mm-hmm. sort of lose interest Interesting. in the game. I prefer the moment to moment gameplay. Um, which is, I think, why I like playing Control Warrior because it is a little more moment to moment. Like, if you're playing, for example, a deck which excels at putting a bunch of creatures on the board and hitting face, the moment to moment gameplay isn't. It's it's just how much damage can I do at any given time? Where uh, and and there's the combo decks which the moment to moment decision is at what point should I play the combo? Yeah, and and a lot of the game happens in the deck building and in the meta. Yeah, which is why I think they're probably actually making the right thing to go. This this warrior combo mm-hmm. grim patron deck is not good for the style of game which most uh, yeah. people engage with. So I think that change actually made me enjoy constructed more because it's now I now have an opportunity to assess the board and say if I the most efficient way to remove these creatures and put my creatures on the board is this or I could do this and set up something for next turn. Um, but I'm not sort of stalling for specific cards or um, just trying to go for the most efficient amount of damage in a short amount of time. Right. I mean, the other element is also I have to put work into understanding the new meta. Everything's changed. And that's, that's hours. Yep. yep. Yeah, that's always a, a hurdle. <laughs> but that's, that's the same with magic, which you also play. Yes. In fact, last time we said we were going to answer some questions, and we have a question about magic. So this question comes from Imoen and Polos. Yeah, they both actually asked independently. Like, in, in, uh, yeah, independently. They they said because uh, well, if you, so if you some, read it, one about, of these people um, is being paraphrased. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and one of them is being exactly quoted. Mm-hmm. So Mark Rosewater, a senior game designer for Magic: The Gathering, once said in regards to deck diversity and exploration that R and D cannot make bad cards that are secretly good without also making bad cards that are actually bad. Um, and he would love to hear the GGG balance slash dev team's thoughts uh, as to how this sort of idea applies to builds in Path of Exile. Uh, do we try and make a bad build obvious to make things easier for new players at the expense of there being less bad-looking actually OP builds? Or do we intentionally put in both actually bad and bad-looking but secretly good options? Right. So usually you don't need to try too hard to make something bad. Yeah. Um, all you need to do is make what you think are a bunch of good things and there'll be some bad stuff in there, mm-hmm. um, which is sort of depressing but true. So I guess there's a couple of elements to this. One is um, Path of Exile and Magic have one big thing in common is that um, desirability is a big part of the game. So yep. um, they want you to desire cards because their entire business model works on the fact that some cards are more desirable than others. Mm-hmm. Um, and in our game, it's a loot game. A lot of it is about finding desirable stuff. Um, and and it's very hard to say everything is balanced perfectly against each other um, and have stuff be 
desirable mm-hmm. um particularly in the long term like we have players who put in hundreds and thousands of hours who still have stuff they want to get yep um and it's very hard to have stuff you still want to get without having very sort of graduated this thing is better than that other thing mm-hmm. um and often we have like we are some of the strongest complainers i find about gear or stuff being bad is people who are newish to the game but read widely enough like when i say newish they might be 20 hours which is not really newish right they read widely enough or they've done their research and they go well i want this high-end stuff right now yep i want top tier gear Mm -hmm. Um, the most extreme version of this is like why can't i get this mirrored piece of gear this person has over here Um, whereas the part of the game is keeping stuff desirable for a long time sure um, the other part of this is um, we thrive off the game being moderately complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that is if we built something we precisely understood, it wouldn't be good enough like people would understand it with a couple of hours. Yep. So we kind of make things with hooks to be interesting. Yep. Um, and sometimes those hooks catch on something and you get 10 stuff that things that interact in awesome kind of ways Mm -hmm. and these are like well that's obviously in the game because it's viable with this Mm -hmm. and sometimes you put in hooks and you think well this is going to interact nicely with these other things um and they don't just quite there's just not quite enough there it's not quite enough yeah and occasionally you get things that like not everything is um transitive it's not like there is a linear curve of power. It is like this thing might become interesting later on we also i mean unlike magic first of all we have levels and players level up and we have gear that uh, you upgrade. So there is not a case of assessing one item against another in the same power level because you, one might be level 40, one might be level 60. And and a lot of people complaining about bad things immediately dismiss something that they'd get. If someone got at level 30, it was good for 10 levels, Mm. which for, um, a very new player might be six hours, mm-hmm. um, but for a very experienced player, those 10 levels might be half an hour of their life. Yep. And they go, well, why do I care about that for half an hour of my life? Right. Because someone just... probably cares about it for a lot longer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we also have um, items that we, we, we also tend to throw in a lot of mechanics knowing that they might not be useful now, but they have enough interaction potential that they'll have a long lifespan. Um, An example that I saw really recently, uh, a a unique that is notoriously bad, Veil of the Night, being seriously used in a build. Normally we don't talk about our supporters and their desires, but I will note (laughs) Veil of the Night, which is much hated and even has people say, why would you let a supporter have something bad like that? So what what does it do? It's, um, it lowers all of your resistances. To, oh, it sets all of your resistance to zero. So if you have negative resistances, they go up to zero. Hmm. If you have positive resistances, they go down to zero. Yeah. And zero is a very bad place for your resistances to be. Because and by the nature die. of the game, in Merciless, zero resistance is like walking around waiting to be killed. Yeah. Um, but the player, the supporter who wanted this item, wanted it to be bad. Yeah. Um, very precisely bad in this way in recognition of another item which it's sort of based on yeah is is there any upside to it or is there, it increases the defenses of your character by a percentage um and defenses include armor resistance energy shield okay uh and i th- that's i think that's the primary yeah. now um, it has actually found a home 
Yes. So there's another item called Blood of Corruption, which gives you a skill which has a high soul cost. It's very complicated. Mm -hmm. Basically, it lets you use it once every so often, and it lets you absorb elemental damage and get healed from it. Oh, cool. So um, this is an item that was designed by Chris Wilson, Mm -hmm. and um, we knew it was going to be strong in in short bursts, and we saw recently a build that took it to a pretty large extreme. Oh, you could great. you could get the buff going for twenty seconds plus like thirty percent as well. Like it was going to end up being close somewhere close to thirty seconds or something like that, um, which means you're basically functionally immune to elemental damage. And then other components of the build converted all physical damage taken into ele- or, or a per- percentage of physical damage taken into elemental damage, <laughs> so that. You were taking more elemental damage than physical damage, making you immune to physical as well. <laughs> and one of the core items was Veil of the Night. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, because your resistances are zero, you're getting healed for much more. Yeah. Um, and so this was a build that is, to some extent, viable. Like, you can do interesting, mm. you can fight bosses and be immune to their damage, all forms of their damage, mm. for 30 so or so seconds, which is, you know, enough to, to, do, to do enough damage yeah. or, or all the damage you need. Um, another bad item, which is, was deliberately made as bad, was um, Void Home. Yep, um, which, which has is, a big experience and loot penalty yes. on it. And is literally themed as a cursed item. Yep. I think the flavor text is, cursed be the star whence this came, mm-hmm. which is kind of a signal that this is a bad item. Yep. Um, which is kind of made from a more sort of roguelike, kind of concept is sometimes there are cursed things yeah fantasy worlds have cursed items in them and this is a cursed item but this is also a cursed item that occasionally finds a home um, avoid home yes um because it's got <laughs> massive attack speed um, it's just got a much 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 higher damage curve than anything else in that level bracket yeah but but <clears throat> those are probably the only two things which i could think which were absolutely pitched to be bad um there was another supporter unique that was designed to specifically be worse and more common than a very, very desirable unique. Oh, right. Yes, I know the one you're thinking of. Yep. And on the same base type as that other yes. unique. Yes. It was as a troll item. It was intentionally there um, to make I, people disappointed. I hear tell there might have been designers sneakily trying to make that item in a way to be good. We can't talk about that. <laughs> uh, with, with some other future content yeah. maybe which hmm. um, listening might be out now um, so and tell us what you think yeah and and so there's very few that's literally made to be bad but um because we have these very desirable high-end rare things yeah um and the nature of the game doesn't make well everything is equally useful um the gap between the stuff i most want and everything else um can be quite high mm-hmm. i mean it's also it's fun to get better stuff right you enjoy upgrading your gear you enjoy feeling more and more powerful if every build is good or every item is good there isn't room to keep growing right so and it takes a while for a player to transition to that my goal in a new league is to run maps right. i only care about the stuff i am running at end game um so i judge everything against stuff i would wear on my character mm-hmm at that point i mean there's a there's a large percentage of players who don't get past like cruel yes and when we have players who come back every time and they might play to cruel or to merciless and then they're done and the gear for them is quite different than those other players but um so so if you see something and you go why is this terrible um 
maybe it's just not for you. Yep. Um, or maybe it's there for you to look at and go, that's terrible. We do have a gear assessment element to the game where part of it is to be able to recognize what's terrible. Um, There's also, when, when people are assessing whether builds are good or bad or, or not, um, people have different intentions with their build as well. Like there are, if clear speed is important to you, sure, then a, a high damage, fast moving build is great. But there was a build, one of my favorite builds I've ever seen was an auto casting build. The clear speed wasn't great. The survivability wasn't great, but it let the player press a button and then walk slowly through the map and things would slowly die around them. And they didn't have to do anything else. And that was awesome. Um, part of this, I think, is the the success of the mapping system, which I realize we get flack for the mapping system, but players engage with it. Yep. Um, and that is usually the measure for viability, is am I mapping with this character? Mm -hmm. um, and things that help you with mapping are the things people value. Yep, fair point. Uh, so we also have a bunch of questions we always ask our guests. Uh, these are sort of general and... Some of them I'm not sure are necessarily as applicable, but let's ask them anyway. Um, so Rykus asks, how did we get started? And I assume he means we as in GDG, but more curiously, how did you join Grinding Gear Games? How did I join Grinding Gear Games? Mm. So I started, oh, I guess it's four years ago now. Mm -hmm. seems, mm. yes, we four years ago. So I'd met Chris um, a while um, before I joined but after Grinding Gear had started. Um, and I was quite interested in the game. And in fact, my account number is 10, I believe. Whoa, on the, on nice. The game. So that's pretty cool. So I get to trot out <laughs> occasionally. Um, and I played on the alpha, and I talked to Chris about it a fair bit, and he knew I was into game design and stuff. And we discussed the design of the game a fair bit. And at one point I came to Auckland and I visited them and we even discussed me working there. And at the time, um, I could see they didn't have the tools. And, you know, after discussing with me, I wasn't going to be able to do useful stuff for them. Because mm -hmm. um, it was very much pretty raw at that point. And to go in and do anything useful was going to be a, a hard ask, certainly as a full-time thing. But then later on, um, they got very busy and they'd since had tools. And, I, and Chris, offhandedly, and I chatted a bit to Chris um, over IM. Um, he said, you know, we've just started, um, I think they just started closed beta mm. uh, and it's very busy. And I said, oh, you probably need me up there. Then he said, oh yeah, that'll be good. Hmm. Um, and then I thought, well, okay. And we discussed it over the weekend. <laughs> and then on Monday I resigned and, and the whole, we moved to Auckland, me and kids and bops. So, mm. um, and that's how I started there. So when I started, there was about... 15 people at Grinding Gear, I think. Was it one office? It was one office when I started. Yeah. Um, and it was like shortly into the beginning of the closed beta. Mm. Um, and in game mode time, I think that the version was 9.2. Mm. And then there was a huge delay between 9.2 and 9.3. Mm. But I had a lot to do with 9.3. So it was mostly like change these systems, change these mm. systems. So a huge amount of systems in the game changed. And um, when I started, it was pretty much 100% game design. And up till that point, Chris had done all the game design um, of the game, as well as other stuff as well. Mm -hmm. um, so when I started, there was a there was already already a few artists. I think when I started, I was sitting next to Severn. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so Severn was next to me, and Severn at the time was working on 
Act Two Town or Act Three Town? I hear that took a long time. Couldn't tell you. Act it Two was a Town. town. So the whole time he was there working on yeah. a town. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a few others there. And there's this weird thing in an organization where everyone who started before you has been there forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and everyone who's after you, you know exactly when they started. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was only later I find out, like you know, like Mark, um, Mark One had started not long before me. But you kind of treat mm. everyone who's already there as they're the old hands and they right. all know everything. Yeah. But yeah, like I, I didn't realize you started like four years ago because I've been there like three and a half years now. Yeah. So you're, you're <laughs> like one of you the there first for, people forever. in the new room, I think. Yeah, yeah. Like when we actually went to two offices. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there is that weird thing where yeah. everyone has been there forever. Uh, so Rikus also asks, uh, are, are there any office rituals or quirks? Yes, there there are a few, and I probably don't know all of them because since the division of the mm-hmm. of the other office, there's there's rituals that have developed in both, and now we're all on the same yeah. building, but there's still these. So, are, uh, are there any that you partake in? <laughs> um, so, so here, here's one um, about the nature of of what the goat head is. Um, oh, the goat head. I don't oh, think yeah. this is even never been discussed about the, outside the office. Never do, talked do about the goat head. Okay, so. Um, <laughs> The goat head is what is, and it's not a physical thing, although I do want us to actually get a goat head for this, is what is passed from QA to production when a patch is ready to go. So it's important that QA has some ownership of of um, the patch going out. Because, mm-hmm. And then that their job is literally to stop us deploying stuff. That could um, ruin the game. That could ruin the game. Yeah. Um, so we can't deploy a patch even though we might be pushing for it until QA gives us the goat head. <laughs> um, and so this is what how it's referred to all the time is mm-hmm. like getting the goat head for this patch, um, which as far as I know is just because a while ago the word go ahead got contracted down to goat yeah. head. Yeah, saves time. Um, yeah, but uh, but it is referred to as like it's the goat head. Have you got the goat head? <laughs> yeah. Has the, has the goat I head I keep hearing passed? it. I keep hearing it. <laughs> Um, so that that has actually become quite. And at some point, I want us to like get a goat skull or something that mm. QA literally has to pick up, pick and up, and walk over to you. And and because it's actually quite a big moment, it's it is over yeah. in a word, and then you uh-huh. hit the button and it goes. But it is actually quite big when they say yes, you can deploy the. We patch. should we should definitely get something. A goat head, some drums, maybe. Yep, <laughs> some fanfare. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's a typical day like? A typical day like. So, um, I guess it's, I, I generally head into the office uh, usually between nine and 10. Um, and usually there's already piles of artists there. So what I've noticed, lots of artists oh, yeah. start early and lots of programmers start late. And designers are in the middle. In the middle. Yeah. 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 It's, it's weird how that is, is consistent. It is um, like, yeah. So and then QA is also sort of on the upper end of that as well. They're, they're sort of. Although they've got now that the QA team's bigger, they've got some various start times, but they they tended to get in later, like sort of programmery time. Yeah, yeah, QA crack of noon kind of thing. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's, uh, or when we have like crunch weeks when a patch is coming out, yeah, they'll be there all night, and then so you won't yeah, see them until like four true. p.m. But then yeah. they'll be there until like you know nine a.m. Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting that the, there are these patterns that develop. So, um, but I'll be there earlier if I need to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it usually depends on what kind of week it is, but usually I have a list of things I want to do, and then I'll, but before that, 
I'll just want to check my issues and check that other people are doing the right things, which sounds simple, but it is actually when you've got 50 something people, it is right. the, like, the thing that slows down and, and why you have producers. It's like this, this magic number of people you hit where things that were simple before get hard. Yes. Mm. Um, and like when I started at 16, it was like a working bee. Everyone knows what they're doing. Everyone know how it fits with everything else. And it just sort of fits together. And then you sort of get to 25 and things start to fall down and suddenly Chris is needing to spend four hours or so out of his day just, you know, making sure that the the builder gets going and that people mm -hmm. know what they're doing and that if someone's aware of a mistake or aware of when something fits together and then that time required just seems to grow as you get more mm -hmm. people. And we've kind of got uh, two and a bit producers at the moment yep. um, who also have other things. So I do design and, and there's a team of designers um and there's mark too who does production um but also deals with qa mm. and balance and, and <coughs> yeah and then there's chris who um most of the time is busy being a ceo ceo which also seems to involve more and more time but mm. does a bit of production as well mm. um and then around about 4 30 i get to start on my list of things i actually <laughs> want to do um, yeah, an hour of that in, and then you go home. <laughs> yeah, um, and some weeks I I like I've noticed that um, there are weeks where it's definitely well past that. So, so mm -hmm. um, when you're coming into a patch, you can sometimes end up with some long nights. And there's some jobs also which like um, artists, if you get them doing too much overtime, it's not really of you know art is hard. And requires lots of focus and artists require lots of quiet yeah um and their jobs often well it depends on the on the style of art but their jobs often can't be rushed it's like you start six months earlier and mm. yeah. you get it done i mean some of some of the art like the people who do the, the 2d, the 2D art, art yeah they, go, they can we crack need one some, out in an hour we need an advertising piece yeah they can often be needed you know after hours but when it comes up to a patch design seems to be one of those things where you just sort of end up shoving some extra time in yeah which as of listening i probably put some of the <laughs> some of those hours in yeah uh, but although that being said at the moment we seem to be quite under control doing are we? Well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't look at my issue list <laughs> um, part of this is because nick at the moment is um got quite you basically <sighs> in charge of talisman league yeah which, um, which became the focus of this patch yeah, yeah. So he's now feeling um, oh. feeling the pressure, but um, um, because he doesn't have any less of his other stuff to do at the same mm -hmm, time, right? So send uh, your questions about Talisman League and <laughs> yeah, if you got Talisman League <laughs> questions, email frenziequestions at gmail dot com. <laughs> um, Dirk Austin wants to know what your favorite class is in Path of Exile. Um, so generally in games, I end up I kind of like the magic users i do like magic user characters cool um but i don't really have that much of a favorite in path of exile i try and play them all and if there's something um although what was hardest to get my mind around was um summoning characters so i actually put lots mm -hmm. of effort into into um summoners what what do you mean get your head around them <laughs> well i wasn't naturally a person who sort of played that style of character mm -hmm. Um, so I actually deliberately went into other games and played lots of their right. Mm. Okay, kind of characters. understanding like 
what it is appe- what it is that might be like, find appeal- appealing about it or yeah, the, the actual right. method and the of play. nature of the play and, right. and why you choose to play that okay um but i guess if i if i wasn't involved in path of exile i'd probably look at it and go i'll play witch mm. um because it's the one with it has all the elemental spells and i kind of naturally would probably or i'd i'd go warrior first so i can sort of learn how the combat works mm-hmm. i think when i played d2 first i played barbarian and then i played it and i thought i should have played necromancer or something mm. necromancer is fun this is the one i played yeah, necromancer was yeah. interesting. i remember um shortly after i started world of warcraft i made a, an online friend and uh he was a i was playing a mage and he was playing a mage and i was asking about some of the other classes because i was still mm. kind of new to mmos and whatever and uh he said warlocks suck because pet classes suck because if you're playing a pet class that means all of the power is in the pet and nothing's on your character so if your pet dies you you die right so which at that time was actually true in world mm, of warcraft when, warlocks when, could not do anything so what i remember about mages in world of warcraft i didn't play a lot of world of warcraft mm-hmm. but the mage was this one that's meant to do all this damage, but really mages made water. Yeah. Yep. And bread. Yeah. Don't forget bread. Got to get that life like, and mind. It's yeah. a radon. Turn up an hour early and make water. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. why they- that, water that, carrier. That was then, why they added the, um, the, the, what was it called? The, the table that the, um, that the mage- the refreshment table. Yeah, the refreshment table. <laughs> it was so that the mage didn't have to, by hand, make every single person yeah. water. They could just summon this table, and then everyone goes to the table and gets it as much like water as they want. It has like 40 stacks worth or something yeah. like that. Yeah. That, what's, what I found very frustrating about World of Warcraft recently is the way they sort of balance the damage out across all classes. If you play a damage class, you can pretty well fill the damage roll in a raid or whatever, mm-hmm. which if- if you read the original World of Warcraft manual, it was like mages are the glass cannon. They yeah. they do the highest amount of damage and, and, and have the they lowest survivability. Die very easily. I remember that trying <clears throat> to solo level a mage is yeah. You know, I need a friend yes. to take the damage. I don't think that's changed. Yeah. The damage part of that has changed. <laughs> right. <laughs> if if you want so to you do still the most need damage, a friend, but you're not doing the most damage. Yeah, you're just you're just a water dude still. You're basically. a water boy. Right. You, and polymorphs, but then even like shamans got hex, which is. So I remember that there was used to be considered the noob option to pick paladin just because the paladin would survive. Yeah, mm. they they never died. But I've had a friend Bubble that um, played paladin, and he said if he ever fought another paladin, I mean that was like a half an hour battle. Yeah. Because nobody ever loses any life. <laughs> it's um, until someone gets bored and then just like puts up their shield and then hearths back to their hometown. Mm. Yeah, the the old bubble hearth. Yeah, bubble hearth. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite game? My favorite game. Uh, so I really quite like games and I play a lot of games and a lot of types, but I think I've, I because so much of my life is obsessed about games, I find it hard to pick a favorite. And I'd start saying, well, in this category, maybe this one, and I quite like this mm-hmm. one. So that's well, actually you, a very hard do you question. Do say a, a few that you like? A few games I like. So an abstract strategy game, there's a game called Zerts, which I quite um, like and I don't know how to explain it very easily but it's a game in which you move pieces around and neither player owns the pieces but you're trying to set things up what? to happen it's <laughs> very clever um, okay is it chess like um, no but it is it is I go you go and there are pieces on a board and you move the pieces okay and you jumps and there's forced moves and stuff 
I could show you. It's in the same series as the other game I've got on my desk at the moment with the hourglasses and stuff. Oh, okay. Mm. Which is not a good game, but looks pretty. Is it not, is it solvable? Um, it looks it's kind of shallow. The the time yeah. mechanics with the hourglasses are very clever that you have to move and you've got the sand ticking down and you don't want the sand to get down, which is a game called Tamsk by the same designer. Mm. Um, board game-wise, I was very into the board game Puerto Rico, which is by Andreas Seifeth. And I like that because it had this. It was quite strategic, and you learned the strategy over lots of games. Mm. And like you kind of, if you played it with a group of friends, you kind of got this meta develop mm. where you go, "Oh, this is totally overpowered," and then someone else will find some other strategy, That's cool, and man. that became dominant. And then you'd find a strategy that beat that one until the like. So it was very deep, and you learned it over time. And that actually rated very highly as a mm. sort of a Euro game, mm. and is still probably very highly rated on Board Game Geek. Um, <laughs> Computer game wise, there's lots of games I like. I did like the Anno series, mm. Anno twenty two oh five. But that that's what was your favorite Anno game? I think it might be twenty seventy. Okay, now. I think it actually did improve on the other ones. Um, although I've always got a soft spot for seventeen oh one, which was the first one I played. Right. Yeah. I had, then went back and played some of the older ones. So lots of game categories, people often like the first one they played. Mm. So 1701 does have kind of a special thing for me, but I think actually 2070 is the best. Mm. Cool. All right. Um, we'll ask another question from our pool of questions we always ask people. This is from Oscilix. What are your top three game design concepts an ARPG should have? An ARPG specifically? Mm -hmm. And I'm going to assume by this you mean an ARPG of the type that part yeah, of the Yeah, I, I think is. they're talking about like the loot splody kind. The loot splody kind yep. of things. Yeah. So so um one thing I think is um permanence of character, by which I mean things you do on your character which you get to keep for a while. Okay. Um like so so there are action games in which you could put your character in at any moment and it doesn't really matter. Well, they might have a few. So the the progression elements where you have gear that matters, and my character right. is mine because it's got this gear, sure, and no one else has this gear, mm -hmm. which means immediately there are other things that matter. Like randomized gear obviously helps this because only I have the sword. Sure. Mm -hmm. No one else has one that's exactly the same as this mm -hmm. that's got these exact same stats, even though as you optimize, you do tend towards very similar ones as yep. other people. Um and and this is kind of why I think things like um, hardcore is kind of cool for an action RPG because it's permanence of dying. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so basically, and in Path of Exile, this comes up in the skill tree. The skill tree's got these decisions and they feel fairly permanent. Um, and we originally didn't even have um, respects at all as an option. Mm. Wow. And we've always wanted to keep them quite limited. Um, and they're, they're fairly free now, but mm. you know the, the idea that you are making choices and that they matter in the yep. long term, um, and and it shows in the gear is like you get gear and it is your characters, and you might swap it out, but that's a very conscious decision. Mm -hmm. It is not like I can't wait till I get the next piece of gear on this treadmill. It's like I need to find the right gear to replace this one, mm -hmm. um, which has got some things that matter, like. You want to actually avoid lock-ins so that people actually do change their gear. Yeah. But as well, you've got to have other gear be desirable. Mm -hmm. um, and it means sometimes you've got to have bad gear so that when you look at a pile of rears, you don't go, well, obviously I want this because it's a level 
54 and I'm a level 52 character. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. do I want this? No, 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 no. Right. Nope. That moment where you go there, all vendor trashes, so that when you look through a part of loot and find one and you go, actually, this one is worth replacing the one I have with. Mm-hmm. It's sort of a thing that matters and a thing that has a bit of bit of heart to right. it. So that's one is that sense of permanence, I guess. <laughs> sort of the the Diablo three red and green arrows has hurt that sense, I think, in that game. So it's interesting because, and, and I know when we listened to, I can't remember which um, Diablo event where they were talking specifically about the red and green arrows. Mm. It was like, and they showed me two bits of gear and, and I couldn't tell which one was better. And it's like, it was an interesting philosophy thing. Is that, right. That's a moment I love in games where, which one do I use? These are different in function. Mm-hmm. I think it was, a, it was a GDC talk, I believe. Um, yeah. But it's interesting. They do they do have three arrows, though. It is not like there is one arrow of this is yes, objectively it's like better than that one. damage, and healing. Right. And you want more green arrows than red arrows, But basically. they also have secondary stats. So when they first had those green arrows, there were things you cared about that, that weren't represented in mm. them. Um, but that being said, I mean, that, that does work for D3. Mm-hmm. It works in, in the... I don't think it worth work for Path of Exile. There's too I, many. I don't. I like I said. There's a very philosophical kind of that moment where you got two bits of gear and you don't actually know which mm. which is better. Is actually a, the kind of game de- sure, decision I like to happen. Part of that is uh, the direction in which your character is built. Yeah, and but I mean, that, that is something said, that a, a piece of gear can't identify. Right, which which is from the style of permanence yes. we've got. Um, but that being said, D three. I mean it. It has the gear permanence. Like mm-hmm. I have my gear, and this is my gear. Yep. I have this this set of legendaries, and they mm-hmm. they matter for my character. Um, even though the skill choices are something that you can they're very flexible. Yeah. Um, so the second thing I'd say is visceral combat. Okay. And considering I spent the last podcast twenty minutes ago, or whatever, saying I'm very much a mechanics <laughs> guy. The 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 blood and guts and the smack and the you know, the fact that you have that feeling of combat, I think, is very important to an action RPG. You basically mm-hmm. don't get to, to be an action RPG without that. Otherwise, you're you're, you're a stats-based RPG. Yeah, without the action. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So so the visceral combat, I think, is absolutely a pillar you need. You probably want, like, my next league idea, which was you swap out all weapons for dice rolls. <laughs> and you, you, sure. You dice roll against the enemy. Um, so, I mean, mo- someone's probably going to be, a- I suspect whoever's come <laughs> up with their three pillars every time this question's asked, someone's probably got a pile of counterexamples they can bring out. But I think the visceral, <laughs> the visceral combat is kind of important to the action sure. RPG, mm-hmm. um, that you get to go and hit things and there's blood and you sort of feel the weight because that's the simple core the rest of the game is built on. Mm. You don't yep. get all the other complexity without the, I click on the monster and I do it damage, and I do it some more damage, and it falls down, and it drops some stuff. Right. Um, which is the super simple. And you want it to feel like you, as the player, are inflicting the damage on the monster through your avatar of the character. Yeah. You, don't, you don't want it to just be like, and I click, and, and its life goes down, <laughs> I and there's no connection between that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and given that I was just thinking hard of what is actually a third one that wouldn't be droppable um i mean i i would say randomness except there's been arpgs without randomness mm. realistically like it's titan a- quest has much less um sure their, their levels aren't but, random but, but their that, loot is. that 
that I have one character is pretty integral to an mm. ARPG. Mm-hmm. I have a character and I identify it and it is my character in the world. Like it would be hard to do the Grand Theft Auto, I have three characters, which is also, I guess, this War of Mine does, whereas mm. I am a gestalt thing that has some control through my mouse pointer of several things, mm-hmm. but that I am a character in the world. Um, there may be other characters, but they're controlled by other people. Mm. So I guess that's... To a sense of ownership. Yeah, and I guess that ties into the permanence. Yeah. But it is like, it is a, I have one token in this game, and it is my character. It is yep. my character that matters. It is my character's gear. It is my character sure. against the world or the other players or whatever. Our previous guests, like Jonathan, for example, and I think even Eric, um, possibly even Rory, they, they all thought that randomness was a very, very important part. So I think RPG, randomness so. is a very important part of these types of games. Yeah. But if you look at it, obviously it can be dropped. Yeah. Like because some games have have less randomness. Like sure. I, yeah. I think Path of Exile would not exist and not be as replayable as it is mm. without the randomness. Sure. And I do actually think Titan Quest um, falls down because the second time you go through to play it, it feels so much the same. Mm-hmm. Because I really like the character building in Titan mm. Quest, and I want to play lots of different characters. But right. I actually find it tiring the second time through you know exactly what's around the next corner yeah yeah would it be right to say then um rather than like absolutely having to have randomness just replayability you know yes i mean the randomness i would would, would imagine an action rpg that wasn't replayable though I can I, imagine I, one with, oh. you have a single character, it has a sense of permanence. In fact, the ultimate permanence would be um, you play your character, and when it dies, you're not allowed to play the game ever again. <laughs> like, it uninstalls <laughs> from your machine. And I hear tell of someone who's been playing this game for a thousand hours. <laughs> I made it to 14. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I could imagine a theoretical action RPG, mm. which... Um, didn't have any replayability mm. um that being said i don't think it would be commercially no best choice <laughs> it'll be a fun experiment rpg yeah sure um and i certainly think it's yeah so i think it's really important that an action rpg has replayability mm. and a lot of the things in it lend itself to that replayability and a lot of the design decisions are for replayability but i could imagine a theoretical one which um didn't have it but that being said i think that that's kind of yeah. i guess beside the point so the replayability is obviously important but if mm. if i wanted to go with what are the core things when you get an action rpg down to it i guess it's that single character permanence right. what was the other one i said <laughs> like visceral a, combat yep. which is important that you couldn't have a non-combat action rpg yeah Despite you, you, what Undertale says. You don't think you could have a, a an action RPG where you control a, a party? See, then then I would feel like you could certainly have an RPG. Like an RTS-style like RPG? <sighs> it wouldn't be the same, though. What would, like, it pausing would, and, and well, doing you, you send your guys in stuff? different directions and they'll attack I mean, the monsters. I mean, kind of a summoner, you could argue, is a bit like mm, that. Sure. I mean, but I, I think that would... If, if it was, like, it's an action RPG and you play this party, it would be like... Well, I guess maybe it is, but it's not an action mm. RPG in the way you'd normally sure. think of it. So I think that would be lost. I mean, okay. I played uh, Neverwinter has like a sort of a, a party type thing, but I played that purely as action RPG. Like I never paused the game or, mm. or anything like mm-hmm. that. Um, yeah, so I guess that's so, yeah. I certainly similar. see the word action RPG used on console games, and which I look at and go, that's not an action RPG. Right. But 
obviously if you Legend just, of Zelda is considered an action RPG, for example. Yeah, whereas to me it's not because it lacks right. that sort of. Mm. Oh, I guess you unlock stuff in the shop, but it's not the same kind of you, you feeling unlock. of permanence as. Mm, yeah, yeah. There's, there is, but it's it's a different sense of permanence. It's, yeah, it's more like I mean, it's the actions of, you perform change the world. This is one of the to. problems I have with definitions. Yes, I'm trying to say <laughs> one of the pillars is is that you cut out things that you obviously think of in that category and include things that aren't. Yeah. But you really have this mental loop that just goes around a yeah. bunch of things, <laughs> and I know it when I see it. So, um, so we'll move on to a new question. This is very important: um, warm or cold pizza. So I'm going to assume they don't mean fresh pizza immediately from the shop, which is um, obviously warm. I think assume they mean right. after you've had the pizza and you've put it in the fridge. Yeah. Do you reheat you, it? Not do you order your pizza and at request they don't cook it. <laughs> maybe there's a maybe there's a gap in the market though. Maybe there could be a go, cold uh, pizza. St- I want store. raw dough. Yeah. I want unsliced tomatoes. No, it's just like it would be like <laughs> some wheat. Wheat right. Um, no, uh, we, we, we deliver you all the ingredients to, so the to make next a pizza. Day, while I will, some, make I will pizza. sometimes heat pizza and some flavors are a bit of hot. I think I generally prefer. I actually will happily eat the slice of pizza cold. Mm. I this think is happily like, or leftover, more happily. Right, yeah. um, there are flavors which I think I actually come out better when it's been left for a day and it's cold. Really? Does that also mean that there are flavors that are better when they're warm? For some pizzas, yeah. But generally, I'd I'd actually say okay. cold over so over warm. cold. Severn? I'm a I'm a cold pizza guy. Blake. Yeah, I I prefer cold. You're all wrong. The answer you, is warm. You, you microwave. <laughs> You're um, a microwaver. Uh, I microwave, but uh, I recently got into rebaking. Rebaking. See, see I think you lose something. It dries out and it gets crisper. It gets so, crisper, mm. which is is worse. It's it's. I don't think it's worse. It's definitely different. Right. And if you have some crazy method where you keep it moist or whatever, then, oh, then that's a whole level of crazy. Yeah. I wouldn't do. The whole point is you open the fridge and you pick the pizza <sighs> yeah. up see, and now, you go. Yep. It's amazing how it tastes good the yeah. next day. It tastes, the thing cold. is, the thing nah, is, I think nah. I, it's like it. It's transformed into a different if, food. If you're not burning the roof of your mouth with that hot cheese. So I have another question for you. Fried chicken. Yep. If you mm. have it left over the next day, cold or warm? Warm. Man, it's so good cold. No. I should do it like, cold as well. Yeah, yeah, also, yeah same. I don't, I don't like, like to fried chicken. Last week. Reheating it is also kind of gross. You just remember how gross it was. <laughs> <laughs> last, last week, I was making coffee or something, and mm-hmm. Blake walked over to the fridge grabbed a container of the leftover Chinese food yep. and started eating it straight out of the fridge. Yeah, yeah. Oh, see, that's just... Yeah. Just... So, you, I think... I feel like it doesn't matter. You can substitute any food in so there for, and for Blake's going to say cold. Chinese food, <laughs> warm or cold, I go with no. Just you, no. you don't eat Chinese <laughs> no. food the next day. I, I love leftover Chinese food, but again, you've got to heat it to the point where you're burning no, your hand I, if you I, touch I it. Still, I disagree on that one as well. I'll I'll have is there leftover any, Chinese food. Is there cold. any food you won't have cold? Um, oh, I actually don't know. I haven't found one yet. I haven't found one. Uh, soup. I don't. I'm not a fan of soup in general. Oh my god, soup is amazing. I don't. I don't have leftover soup. Soup's soup doesn't awesome. last long enough with me soup? to have leftovers. Don't, don't you like getting soup belly? <laughs> I've never had a soup. soup. What is that? Soup belly is when you have a whole bunch of soup, and then your your stomach feels all warm and good. And, and when you when you, you move, you can hear it like, going. Mm. 
It's like mm, winter. No, yum. Yeah, that's yeah. That's I like that. Yeah. But I'm not gonna be like, oh, the soup. I'm halfway through the soup. I better put this in the fridge for later. I'll just finish the soup. It's just, it's soup. Yes. But what if you get too much soup? There's one There's can. One can of soup is all you need. Well, here's your first problem. You're having cans of soup. You yeah. go, you go and get a nice soup from somewhere. Like you go and get like it's a, a it's a chunky, soup or... it's a chunky soup. It's a, sorry, it's a <laughs> at that good point it's barely even a soup. <laughs> so, it's so just probably why I like it. It's just basically bread with the damn. Probably why I like it the most. <laughs> Coming from a household which, when soup is cooked, it is cooked in giant pots. Yeah, of course it's warm because that's how you de-ice it. Because <laughs> all soup gets frozen and gets oh, made in these giant uh-huh. pots, and, and then okay. you stick it in your ice cream containers and your your honey containers and you throw it in the freezer. Ah. Are there foods that are better frozen? Ice cream. Have you ever had melted ice cream? Like, have you ever intentionally melted out ice cream so it's like... I've melted it. I've melted it. it out of the bowl. No. That's a milkshake. No, that's different, that's what different about, again. I, I actually like ice cream just as it's at that transition state. I do mm. like it. Yeah, I you do know, like it when, when, it's, when the edges have started to melt and it's just yeah. super smooth ice cream. But when it's I'll too often, hard, is the, the rest of my family's definitely ice cold only. Oh, right. it must be okay. completely frozen. I'll often eat half of it, like as it's cold, and then I'll stop and I'll just sort of stir it wow. until it's kind of soupy. So <laughs> and then, admittedly, that's the one soup I don't <laughs> have for an ice cream soup. Ice cream soup, <laughs> of course. <laughs> you put some yeah. gumdrops in there. So, <laughs> so I can't imagine Yum. a cold soup being gazpacho. Being a oh, gazpacho soup. I've yeah, never well, had that though. <laughs> I haven't actually had gazpacho ever. It's not good. Um, but I don't like tomato. Maybe, so. maybe if I <laughs> set it up, it would be good. I don't know. Um, I, I went on a cruise, and they have this thing called Chef's Table, where you pay more than you ordinarily would hmm. to get a meal. And, and it's like a crazy meal and you get a tour of the kitchen. And then the meal we, we had was like seven courses and then a cheese course and then the like chocolates afterwards course. And it was, Ooh. did they call it a gustation or something? No, other, degustation. Other no, they didn't call it that, but it was, it, that's basically what it was, but they gave it, the, the servings were too big. If, if you can All imagine. Right. So it. they didn't give you tiny little. No. So, so they, they have this, like, first of all, you, they give you little, like, um, I don't, I don't know, canapes at the very start, which isn't part of the meal. That's not included in the courses. They give you canapes and they're really fancy. And then the first course was like, they called it a taste of taste of autumn, taste of summer, something like that. And it was like three cups of cold soups of various flavors that were pretty good. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to have every last drop of these because it's a fancy meal and the rest of this course is going to be Did tiny. Did it taste like the season it was... Um, Tastes like they were fresh. They were yeah. fresh tasting, I guess. Okay. I don't know. Um, the rest of the s- servings were gigantic, though. Mm. <laughs> it felt like by the last like three courses, it just felt like a weird food torture. <laughs> <laughs> like they're bringing out this nice food oh, that good. looks incredible, smells incredible, tastes incredible, and you don't want any of it. Oh wow! <laughs> and you can't have it. You can't seven, take it like home seven courses. On a boat. <laughs> seven courses is like a <laughs> marathon. Insane. Like they, the like the main course. Yeah, there were like two main courses. There was like a seafood main course, and then like a uh, a sorbet course in between oh, wow. <laughs> to cleanse the palate. Sorbet, by the way, is awesome. Yeah, sorbet um, is pretty good. This was like a mint champagne it's sorbet. So more cold. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 This is this is one of those those fancy warm <laughs> sorbets. Um, the the then they had like a the pork course was like three no it was lamb is like three lamb medallions on stacks of really nicely sliced potato, mm. and it was you know. If that had been 
the main course at a normal restaurant, yep. I'd be like, that's kind of small. Uh, if I had also just ordered like an entree and a dessert, I'd be like, okay, that's fine. A satisfying meal. Kind of, I'd probably be a, able to eat something at the end. Yeah. But that was like the sixth course with oh two more God. to go. Oh. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> the, the guy came around at the end and said, um, we normally we bring out chocolates, <laughs> but we're going to send them to the room tomorrow <laughs> because wow. no one's eating yeah. anything else. <laughs> we said to the chef that this court, the servings are too big. He said, no, they're not. Oh, man. <laughs> completely ignored it kept talking wow they didn't you know it's a good chef when they disagree with you about the food. <laughs> oh, was it man. was there anyone there that was just like this is great bring on more no no by the by the cheese course no one could eat anymore <laughs> did there they was, give you purge oh, buckets or and, anything and <laughs> there was a glass of wine with every single course oh whoa and it was like they chose the the wine for the course, and there was like a course that shared oh, the same wine, yep. like two courses that shared the same wine. And so they were like savoring that wine, making sure we didn't drink it all. And they come by and refill the glasses. <laughs> wow! Oh man, that's good. It sounds like a great do the chef's experience. table. If you ever do a cruise, do, yeah. a chef, do the chef's table. Anyway, my point you'll, is you'll. warm soups. <laughs> um, we also got. I don't, I'm sure. Now we'll talk about that later. Um, we got we got a question from an email. Uh, this is from. Do we want to say the name? Oh uh, yeah, I okay. actually emailed him and he was like, "Yeah, it's cool." Uh, Lucas Medeiros. I'm sorry if I'm butchering your name, um, but get an easier to say name. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, so hi, you stated in a previous podcast that you loved the show, and I'm a huge fan as well. Uh, I think he's referring to Survivor. He didn't say. Yeah. He <laughs> Um, so it, uh, you love the show Survivor. He said yeah. he's a huge fan as well, and that we could be inspired by it in future future development of Path of Exile. Uh, and then he said, reading from the Trials of Ascendancy notes, and here he quotes: "The ancient Asmarians constructed complex trials to test aspiring leaders, body, mind, and soul. To select candidates for his labyrinth, Emperor Izaro revived to this tradition with his own sinister designs." Uh, Survivor TV series immediately came to mind as Survivor Brain Brawn Beauty and the whole ascendancy thing. Is it coincidence or am I right? Um, so I'm pretty sure that text was written by Edwin that he's referring to. That sounds like Edwin text. Yeah. As far as I know, is not a fan of Survivor. Right. But he might be. But was the con- I think he's asking, is the concept of the trials of ascendancy inspired by Survivor? Um. No, I don't think it was at any point. Yeah, I don't think so either. But, that, I mean, that being said, I, I quite like Survivor. I yes. Think, I think me and Nick are the only ones at the office who like Survivor yeah. from what I've heard. But Sometimes we'll start talking about it and I'll hear groans. Well, I, don't, I don't hate Survivor. Do so you? I think there's been an association of Survivor with all the shows that followed it and missed that it was a game show rather than a reality TV show. Yep. Um, because I think the game of Survivor is quite good. Mm-hmm. Early on, I had opinions about the the last bit at the end with the jury vote. It's not like a proper game, but that was sort of a mechanical thing that I believed at the time, which mm-hmm. I now actually like the vote at the end. I think the vote at the end is very important for yeah. for how you, it, I, it reflects how you played. The throughout reason I the think game. I didn't like that at first is it was strictly a social right. Like these these are based on rules people have constructed, whereas sure. My mechanical purism at the time ah, was like, this mm, is not a... Right. Like, there requires information outside the game proper. Is but. there an alternative that you would 
of design that oh, you worked I, I on the show. Think, I think that suits <laughs> Survivor perfectly. But like I said, that's an evolved opinion. Yeah. It's, it's very clever because the people that you have voted out are mm. the people who decide whether or not you get the money. Which and means so, you are assessing, one, you are have some rules of engagement of mm. do they want to vote with you based on the fact that they've betrayed them. Yeah. Um, but it also means you are establishing rules with those people about what they consider the right person to vote for. And mm. presumably yep. you're asking them before they go, who are you planning to vote for? Or like what what policy, what, how would you vote? Right. You, know, you will learn if they are planning to vote for the best game player or they're... Yeah, a big part of it is reading the players you're with and uh, assessing the best way to kick them out of the game well, and still, still have them like vote. you at the end. Nicely, yeah. nicely. Kicked. Which is, which is so also, There are people who won't conundrum. vote for someone they like, but who they think played best. Mm. Yeah. And you want to know that before you answer their questions. Mm. And then bear in mind that you answer your questions in front of everybody. Yes. So and you so are communicating to an entire team. It, it takes a politician to win, basically. <laughs> you, have to, you have to be able to appeal to all parties, no matter what Didn't they value. a couple win once? Wasn't that uh, no? No, there no. was a case where there was um, people who had coupled up yeah. in the final thing, but obviously only one of them can win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, they went on to be a like proper couple, didn't yeah, they? So and the then, question is, and they both would have they gone on to be a proper couple if the vote had gone on the other way? Mm. Like we don't know because right. they didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. You're talking about Boston Rob and uh, I think I think so. I I don't Amber Amber. Yes, yeah. we're on the same show, mm. so you could say, well, they they had the same chance to win because when one of them won, they then hung together and they yeah. shared the money. Yeah, but we don't know that if the vote had gone the other way, mm. whether they would, would have stayed together and yeah. shared the money. <laughs> yeah. Like that's not a hundred percent. They were. I mean, they were a good voting block. Yep. Yeah. Um, but they're still individuals. We can't assume that That's it would have true. gone that way either way. But I guess yep. the I guess the ultimate thing is that once the money runs out, do they still stay together? Uh, like well, uh, after the show, Boss and Rob kept playing Survivor. <laughs> <laughs> kept coming back. He's done like and four or five. They also played um, the Amazing Race. Oh, really? Oh, well. uh, yeah, which is also not really a game show. I don't like the Amazing Race. I I, I like love it. the idea of the Amazing Race, but so much of it is not what you really want. Like. So, the Amazing Race is more obviously manufactured for television. Mm. And obviously Survivor is as well, and a great part of it is they are editing it to look good. But I don't feel like the editing is lying. It has been selective in what it's showing me and making a narrative out of it. Mm. Yep. But behind that narrative, there is clearly a game being played. And maybe it's not the exact game that has been narrated to me by the editors. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a game going on, and I get to see the results. Yeah. Um, so it feels more like I'm watching a, I'm watching footage of a game, which is admittedly light footage and edited to make a story. But yeah, it yeah. feels more like there is a game behind it. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Amazing Race, that's not what I feel. Like you kind of feel there's lots of catch-up mechanics designed yeah. to make good TV. Yeah, not because it's a good game. So the most recent season of Survivor, which I know you haven't, I'm not fully you're not, up you're to not date caught, out, on. caught up on. So I'm not going to spoil anything. But we've discussed a little bit. Uh, there's a, a, a mainstay of Survivor since like season seven or something like that. The hidden immunity idol. Which it took them a long time to get the mechanics of right. Well, I think that they never got the mechanics of it right. Right. Because I think the first time they introduced it, there was one and it didn't really have much of an impact. And they kept putting more and more in until you could just 
there will be players who the first thing they do when yeah. they get to their camp is they go and they try and find <laughs> the hidden immunity idol. Um, and sometimes they'd find it and then there'd be like three or four of them floating around and and no one was but using it them. It or, didn't always matter that they were used and often they disappeared yeah. without being used, but they still added tension. And occasionally there were these amazing moments with like two immunity idols being used at once Ooh, to do some yep. strategic and there was there was a time when some guy who had two immunity idols got voted off without using either of them um, <laughs> um, um but what <laughs> why did he he just didn't let that happen he was super cocky yeah but so one when they introduced them they i don't think they got quite right and then as soon as people knew how they introduced them they like got sort out yeah yeah and, like, and it okay. was sort of like solved yeah yeah and then they tried to introduce like clues to things and super immunity idols which you could use after and none of it like mm. they found a long time trying to find their place for these yeah but i would say this season they have nailed it uh right. you haven't seen some of the stuff they've been doing with the immunity idol, no i only saw the first bit where right where what you find is a clue to get it and you basically yes. have to put yourself at risk to get one that is that that is a theme that persists um and it is uh, it has done really great things for the game, for the for the viewer and for the game. I'd say. Right. So what works in Survivor is that it's essentially a game about information. Yep. And the immunity, hidden immunity idol means there is this thing which there's a lot of information to be about. Like who has one? Will they mm. use it? Um, do I know they've got it? Do they know I know I've got it? That kind of thing. Um, you can bluff, right? Like you can totally act yep. as if you have and, one. And people have yeah. to the point of making their own kind of thing. Hmm. Um, but uh, yeah. Um, all right, so we're we're pretty much already out of time. Oh, what seriously? Yeah, yeah. it's been an hour. However, want to go longer? <laughs> I want to. I want to just uh, ask. So we had uh, one person. I believe this person emailed in. Uh, which one was that? Yeah, that was an email. I don't. I didn't get a confirmation of okay. using their name. Well, we won't but... use their name. They asked. For three different questions um but we don't really have time to cover it all and we've covered some of it already um but he did have a question about power creep um and so he just wants to know what your feelings are about power creep because he acknowledges that there has been some and is going to be some in an upcoming expansion um and how we can keep it in check and find a nice balance between innovation and new powerful and impactful mechanics wow this is this is at least five minutes of me talking by the way that's fine well um this will be the last question so nick has also heard me go on about power creep before yes this is something i discussed the designers because mm. obviously it's a a big issue and 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 so first thing i'll start there's a guy called ian schreiber who's a game designer and also a person who teaches game design and he has this model of power creep um which is useful for understanding power creep but i don't think it's 100 percent right um, so he basically says power creep is inevitable in a game which has ongoing content. And he has a very strong argument that I think is wrong, but it's not bad. <laughs> it's a pretty good argument. Like when you see it written down, it's like, well, it's hard to argue that it's inevitable, which is basically says um, power can be determined in, in basically um, cost versus power, right? So cost for benefit. Mm -hmm. And we can graph all the things in the game and show where they fit Um in cost versus power mm -hmm. and you obviously want to line that of things in your game and where they fit in cost versus power so your balance game will have this everything fit on this line um which is kind of the efficiency of everything that 
that's a thing that could be assessed as to be in balance or not. Right. And you want that line to start at the bottom with very low cost and low power and go up to high power and high cost. Mm-hmm. Um, but because we don't design things perfectly, you'll end up with like the scatter diagram around the line you're trying to design to. Mm-hmm. And then what matters in the game is not all the items that sit on that line. It is the specific subset of things above that line. The things that are slightly more powerful than the curve you are aiming for. Yeah, because from our perspective, we have a line drawn through the middle. And from a player's perspective, the power curve is the line that goes to the top. Yeah, so there is the difference between Mm. here are all the things that matter in the game versus here are all the things that people actually use. Yeah. And the things that people actually use are only the things in the above that line. Yeah. So in a trading card game, for example, it's, it's a good example because basically a card is something you can assess power wise and it's much easier to assess than say, um, all the various things that can turn up in other games. Like for example, in path of exile, you can have to compare passives to items. Mm -hmm. Um, when talking about power because they give similar things but it's hard to assess the cost of a passive versus the cost of an item Mm -hmm. whereas in a in a card game the cost is built into the card Mm -hmm. um so it's much easier to assess that so you could say in in hearthstone that the balance that the designers were planning for in the original set is on one curve and the balance of cards people actually use their decks is another. Right. So you get something like... Um, you've got an ancient golem that's 7-7 seven, seven for 7, and then you've got Dr. Boom that's 7-7 seven, seven for 7. Well, that's in a later set, so we can't talk oh, about that. sure. Well, okay. We talk about cards from the first set. Okay. But there are definitely efficient creatures, and it turned out in Hearthstone, creatures that when they die leave another creature are super powerful. Yeah. And they accidentally got above the power curve they were aiming hmm. for, and they figure heavily in the cards people play. Mm-hmm. Um, so the argument then is that when you make an expansion, you don't aim for the power curve you were designing for in the first set. You can't do that because no one would you think it was a good expansion because no yeah. one would use anything in it. Um, you would release a bunch of stuff and everyone would go, that's all complete trash. Mm. It's all worse than the game we actually play because the game they actually play is on this other curve, which is above the power curve you are aiming yeah. for. Um so if you, you obviously design it for the higher curve um, and you just plan not to go above it. But of course, it's hard to be perfect and you'll end up with a scatter diagram above and below that yep. line. And every set you do, you basically repeat this process where... The you, line of usability keeps rising because and the designer time keeps trying to meet it. you can't perfectly hit the line of the power curve yep. and the game as it is played involves all the things that are above the line. Yeah. Um, so that's his argument, right? Th- that is his argument, is that if you have the start of game, power creep is inevitable yeah. because Each you iteration. already have to design the game yeah. as it is played. Um, design is imperfect. Therefore, power creep must happen. Yep. Um, so the first thing is, you can say is, well, in a digital game, obviously we get to change the things that already exist. Yes. Um, we get to mess things. And then the other next thing you get to say is, not all things in a design are... Um, transitive so there are intransitive relationships between things we can add things that highlight stuff that was bad in the past mm-hmm. um and other stuff we was so for example we've had power switches in path of exile where fire damage was the worst thing ever no one would ever use it mm-hmm. and at the moment it, it, it we'd put in things that interact with it well and then at the moment is probably the most powerful of the element types yeah um, and you could say, well, there's been a real power creep there. 
um, and there may have been power creep as well, but all the all the things that are about cold related being a little bit less powerful and all the things about fire being a little more powerful is different stuff being highlighted. Yeah. Um, so you could arguably aim to do this and that wasn't something we were aiming to do. We weren't obviously aiming to have ig- ignite damage be too dominant. Right. We were hoping for it to matter, basically. Yeah, hoping for it to matter. Um, um, but you can sort of, like in a magic, they do highlight different mechanics and bring some forwards and some yep. back. Um, but the other thing they do in magic is they have a secondary curve of, like when they have a set, they literally have what they call curving it out where they make some cards worse and some cards better. Mm-hmm. And they basically sort of pick winners Mm-hmm. Um, which feels kind of wrong when you worry about balance and stuff, um, but it does actually mean that it su- successfully reduces their power creep because they are they are releasing things that are above the curve and above the curve on purpose. Yeah. Um, and they basically say, well, these are the cards you use in limited. Um, these are the cards people might care about, but they're not actually meant to make a huge impact. Mm. And these are the ones for constructed play. That will last for years and years to come. Yeah. And they have another reason, aside from power creep from doing this, is um, they've looked at how many cards people understand and they go the constructed environment. People really only pay attention to 250 to 300 cards, both for mental reasons of I can only think about this many things at once. Yeah. But also their mechanics only allow for a certain amount of cards to exist of a certain power level because there's only so many mechanics they can be about which means you're always having um competing cards for replacement effects Mm -hmm. um and they might do more than one thing but if you're after card draw there's going to be cards that are best for it um and sometimes they may not have even been made for card draw as their primary thing but so how does this affect power creep how does that affect power creep? Well, yes, they, in they, our game specifically. In our game specifically. Yeah. Okay, so in our game, we generally are not deliberately going, well, we'll just have power creep. Right. Um, that being said, in the 2.0 expansion, they, we said, um, normally we nerf and buff things, which is that digital thing assisting. Yep. Um, and in 2.0, we said we kind of want to inflate more into balance. Yep. Um, which is basically saying, yes, we'll just basically have numbers on and we'll introduce new stuff that's better and then we'll buff stuff up to these new values. Hmm. Um, now there, that the imbalances we got weren't so far, much from power creep, it's because we added a ton of new stuff mm-hmm. um, and adding content is hard to get all correct. Um, so generally, the main thing we've got against power creep is that we actually nerf stuff. As we say, we don't just make stuff to be better than all the hot builds from before. We want to nerf some stuff and we want to also improve stuff that existed before and that Mm -hmm. was underplayed. Um, But as well as that, we also, again, also like to kind of have some winners. We're not making everything to be better than ever before. We don't want someone to go, all that gear I had in the past is useless. Mm. I only want to wear stuff that drops in this new expansion. Mm-hmm. So for example, the Marraketh weapons are mostly side grades and for interesting builds. They're not like, well, I'd never use um, an old style weapon over these Marraketh base types. Mm-hmm. Um, although that being said, in base types that were less used, we allowed the Marraketh weapons to be a little bit better. And for things like, which were already extremely well used weapons, the Marraketh items are definitely side grades. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a deliberate choice not to just supersede all the stuff mm-hmm. in the past. Sure. Which often gets complaints from players because they go, 
there's nothing really awesome and overpowered in here. Right. Which in 2.0, there was plenty, actually. Like, there was Call of the Brotherhood, which, when people saw it spoiled, said, there's no way they can release it like that. <laughs> and then we did. And then we did, <laughs> because we tested it and said, it's powerful, but it's not too powerful. And, and we've tested it, so it's really good. But it's okay to have really good yeah, things. We mm. want players to have things And then things a few weeks want. after, it's like everything in 2.0 is trash. Yep. Some people said. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because Call of the Brotherhood for those players was merely good. Yeah. <laughs> like, it merely got used. It wasn't like everyone was using it. Wasn't it wasn't letting you tear through content at a rate never seen before, mm. basically. Yeah. So, so actually, there are players who would love us to basically allow mm. them to tear through content. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is because we're not a PvP game at core. We do have PvP, but at core we're a PvE game. So there's always two sides to this balance as well. Yep. So really what is balance is having the content feel good. And sometimes that is the content being hard. Mm-hmm. And, and mm. But, you know, you want your character to feel powerful, but you want to have challenges. Um, and if you didn't have, like, stuff that was dangerous for your character, you'd be going, well, I've done everything. Yeah. Yep. Um, so that's my long rambling answer. Cool. Good stuff. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, and thank you for listening if you're listening. And I think we'll probably definitely have to have you back because there was there's tons more questions. So many questions. So many more questions. Well. So yeah. you're, if you if you ever want to come on again, the let us know. real specific ones, we might have to go out and answer on the Reddit. Yeah. Maybe. Oh, right. Yeah. So the danger here is as well, me and Nick can just also talk like at work. If we yeah. start talking about something, we'll just talk. Mm. Um, well, if, if you want to hear more, uh, check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash frontseatcast. You can yep. also contact us in there. You can also Throw email us. some likes on the Facebook. Yeah. Uh, you can email us at frontseatquestions at gmail.com or tweet at us at frontseatcast. Uh, and rate us on iTunes. Yeah, rate us on iTunes. Yeah. Do it. Hey, do it. Do it now. I'm talking to you, Severn. Okay, I'll, I'll do it. Okay, good. Thank you. Um, and we'll be back in a couple of weeks. And thank you again, Carl. Yeah, thanks. Awesome. Thanks, Carl. Bye. You guys were just talking about dessert pizza a little while ago, right? Uh, I said ice cream pizza. Ice cream pizza? Oh, okay. I think people... So the only dessert pizza I've seen was like a custard one. I've seen a few. There's like Nutella ones and Oreo ones. I don't think they do them right. Because the base is just a normal pizza base, right? And they just put like chocolate and stuff on top. Yeah. So, so surely that's what defines it as a pizza. Is that Maybe, but I, th- I think... I think it should be... <laughs> I think it should be more of a, a donut type base. Right, but then it's yeah. Then you've kind of got like a cheesecakey thing or something. It's, it's what in if, the shape of a pizza. What if you turned? What if you flipped it on Ted? The the definition of a dessert pizza is something that has a like desserty base, and then it's just cheese and tomato sauce. <laughs> <laughs> so it's sort of like so a you get a cheesecake pizza. and then just put <laughs> tomato sauce on top of it and barbecue sauce, yeah. and then you heat cook it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you cook it. Right. Cook it. Yep. Um, that sounds. And you have it cold the next morning. Idiot. Oh, but okay, okay. Imagine, imagine you got a dessert pizza, uh-huh. right? The base is a cronut base. What is a cronut? It's like it's a croissant donut. That doesn't even work. It's a hipster fed. How can one have it's a puff, something that is like croissant and donut? It's a puff pastry donut. These are opposites, surely. I don't know. I just know it's delicious. A puff pastry donut. Ah, oh, like those donuts that you have like 
folded over and there's the food. Yeah, it's got. It's there. sort of got like no layer. It's no? got. It's got kind of like layers in it when you bite into well, it. Think of like, like a puff pastry, like a like a croissant. Yeah. Except it's round. It's got a hole in the middle. It's been deep fried on the outside gently, and then they usually put like chocolate on mm. top of it, and then like almond slices and. Yeah, but that's not donut at all, really. It's in, the shape of a, it's in the shape of a donut. Uh, yeah, but so is a Much bagel, like- and a bagel is not a donut. So what, what makes a donut a donut? Because if you go to, like, Donut King, their donuts are kind of bready. And if you go to, like, Krispy Kreme, their donuts are very different, right? So it's completely I've different never had either of those kind of donuts, I think. So Okay. Sure, surely it is the nature of the dough that makes up a donut. Very I think different I, so the donuts I've had, I've assumed are what a donut's meant to be, and it is the kind of which are from like Dunkin' Donut, stuff. right? Probably. I've ne- I've only ever had like bakery kind of donuts. Oh. Oh. Well, I, I, chain donut stores. I've only been here a few years. Right? Uh, America. If you go to like the US and you get a donut from like a just a neighborhood donut store, that's not even like a chain. Totally, totally, totally different from what you will get here. Hmm. Right. Um, like if you get like a an apple crawler or. Um, a bear claw or something. Oh yeah. They're so like, what were the names of these donuts? Apple crawler. An apple crawler. 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 C R U L L E R. Okay. And so, like, so donut is a category of things. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of different kinds so, of so donut. The shape thing, like there's many donuts that aren't don't have a hole in them. At right. I wish I understand, but I assumed yeah. that it was, it was called a donut because it was shaped like a hardware nut. I assumed no. Well, I assumed what tied them together was the dough. That a donut was made of no nope. so what does define a donut i don't know that there's a hard definition now i think it's based it's probably so it's just deep fried sweet dough i think yeah i think the key is that it has to be sweet not savory like a, and i think it has to be deep fried a bagel is okay. boiled yeah which is different yeah and and usually not sweet uh you can get sweet ones yeah you, you get, can like, but the, the savory is the yes. baseline yeah right? usually like the new york bagel sure. mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't think of a, of a having. A, I don't think I've ever had a savory donut. So I think it probably has to be sweet mm. and it has to be deep fried. Okay, so it's deep fried bread, basically. Yeah. I say so. But if you deep fried a croissant, it could be a cronut. Um. Will that be different again? Maybe if you added stuff to it. After one hour of I don't know bread discussion, a croissant, yeah. next week. A croissant isn't sweet enough. Send in your think. donut questions. <laughs> all right, we should, gamer. We, should, we should start so yeah. that we have all of this donut goal. <laughs>